a child of the King. It's a wonderful thing to call God our Father. And here in Romans chapter 8, as we look at verses 14 through 17, <clears throat> let's read those verses. Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, the connection between verses 14 through 17 and the preceding uh, the verses that preceded it that we saw um, are as follows. Those who are who by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body are those who are led by the spirit of God. And it, it's only reasonable because no one without the spirit of God has any desire to put to death the, the deeds of the body. And so it, it, the activity of the believer is the evidence of the Spirit's activity, and the activity of the Spirit is the cause of the believer's activity. You show me a professing believer who does not hate sin, and I'll show you someone that's deceived, because the Spirit of God who lives in us is the one who says to us, kill sin, put to death the deeds of the body. To kill sin is negative part of it. To be a child of God is the positive side of it. It's a wonderful thing to call yourself a child of the king. And Paul here, he says that those who are led by the Spirit are adopted as sons of God. Adoption into God's family is a gift. Now, we need to understand something. All through the Old Testament, the concept of God as Father is relatively unknown. And Jesus, when he came on the scene in his earthly ministry, one of the things that his, uh, his enemies, the religious leaders, one of the things about him that truly irked them and made them hate him even more was he called God his Father. He called God his Father. But we notice that when Jesus, you know, it's interesting that, that somebody has pointed out that nowhere do we find in the, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus taught anybody how to preach. But he did teach them how to pray. And what did he tell them to say? Our Father. Our Father. So we have been adopted. When God adopts us, we have every privilege. An adopted child has all the rights and privileges of a natural child. And, and God brings believers into his family and he grants us privileges of not only as a child, but an heir. An heir. We are, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And there is no such thing. We need to understand this because there's a, uh, I, I guess this has been around forever. 
And you see this, if you watch enough television and movies and commercials, you'll see it. But folks, I want to tell you the concept of every single human being being a child of God is false. That does not um, go with what the Bible says. There is no such thing as the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. Not all are children of God. As a matter of fact, over in John chapter 1, uh, verses um, 12 and 13, John says, But to all who did receive him, speaking of Christ, who believed in his name. Does that fit you? Have you received Christ? Have you believed in his name? Then Paul, John says, To them he gave the right or the authority to call themselves children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is God who has called them. So John tells us here that the only ones who have a right to call themselves children of God are those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and have by faith repented of their sin and confessed their sin and believed on Christ. Uh, the Bible teaches that by nature, without Christ, the Bible calls us sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Jesus even told the religious leaders, he said to them, he said, you are of your father, the devil, because of what they taught and what they did. So by the redemption of Christ, we as believers become God's people and we become children of God. One of the most uh, beautiful verses that you will find in the Bible is 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, where John says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. That we have been adopted. Uh, Paul says here, for in verse 13 of chapter 8, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And above all, Adoption secures a relationship with God, and this relationship is irrevocable. When Jesus came, he said, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And, and he says, for whoever believes in him will have everlasting life, eternal life. And this is the uh, eternal life comes with being adopted and be, becoming a part of God's family. And this, uh, this assurance that we have, we must understand that I am a child of God, and when I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and nothing can ever change that. Nothing will ever change that. It is, it is eternal, but I must understand that does not give me a license to live any way I want to. That does not give me a license to just go out and sin all I want to and say, you know what? Um, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm saved, and so I'm going to give in to this sin because God will forgive me. I want to tell you something, folks. Presumptuous sin is extremely dangerous. It's an extremely dangerous thing to do. So uh, the assurance is no license because uh, Paul says that as God's children, we are led by the Spirit there in verse 14. Are you this morning led by the Spirit? Is God truly your father? 
Are you truly a child of God? Because here's, here's the interesting thing about this that we're going to see. As we've been talking about on Wednesday nights and we talked about in Sunday school this morning, this, this concept of pursuing holiness. Do you know what that is? To pursue holiness is just simply to become like Christ. To become like what the Bible says we already are as children of God. Basically, holiness and sanctification is God saying to you and me, you're my child, now go live like it. You're my child, now go act like it. And that's basically what this is saying here. Then they are led by the spirit of this. And look at verse 15. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In other words, I don't have to, when I fail and I give in to temptation and I sin, I don't have to run from God. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school, about how even as believers, we have a tendency that when we sin, to run from God rather than to God. And Paul here is saying, you don't have to do that. You have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. When I when you, Listen, we are called to fear God. Okay, you understand that? But there is a difference in the way an unbeliever fears God and the way a believer fears God. You see, the unbeliever should be afraid. They should be afraid because they, they abide under the wrath of God. But believers fear God in the sense that we reverence God. We honor God. We are in awe of God. Let me ask you something. Are you this morning in awe of God? Have you ever thought about the fact that you get upon your knees, you, you cry out and you say, my father, our father. And to know that you are truly talking to your father. That you are literally in his presence. Paul says, we have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. When I sin, I don't have to run from God. I can run to Him, knowing that if I will repent, if I will, re will confess that He will forgive. He says, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba, that's a beautiful word. But I want to clear up what I believe to be a misconception about that word. That word, I have heard people say that, the, that, that calling God Abba is the same as calling God Daddy. And I think that is a very irreverent thing for us to go to God. I, and, and I believe what Paul's talking about here. He talks about this in Galatians too, about calling God Abba Father. He's talking about Dear Father. My father, not just father, but my father, our father. And so uh, Paul expands on this analogy of adoption and he names several of the benefits. And one of the benefits uh, is that we no longer have to cower in fear before God. We have the right to call him father. We have a it's a warm, simple family term to call out and cry, Abba, Father. Nobody has the right to call God Father. No one has the right to cry out and say, Abba, Father, except the child of God. 
And that's the only people that have the right to do that. And, and, and I pray that you are among those. Abba is the language of trust and love. It, it's also affectionate. We love him, the Bible says, because and only because he first loved us. And whatever our flaws, God's adoption outweighs those. See, Paul here, in the middle part of this, this, these verses we've looked at from verses 1 through 11, and Paul talked about, he says, look, what, what satisfies you in life? Is it the things of the Spirit or the things of the world or the things of the flesh? Which way do you lead? Which way do you, do you find yourself going? How do you live your life according to the flesh or according to the Spirit? And he says these will determine whether you're truly a child of God or not. He's, these will determine whether God is truly your Father. And he says one of the evidences that you live according to the Spirit is you're going to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Okay, so Paul has established that. And then he goes here, he's talking about, he says, now let me tell you something about what you have in this wonderful privilege of being called a child of the living God. You have been adopted. Now, you know one thing about adoption that's, that, that I love? When you get adopted, you get picked. You get chosen. Personally, nobody's ever walked into an adoption agency and said, you know what, just give me one. I don't care which one. They'll say, I want that one. Or I want that one. I'm going to tell you, you know what God did? Before the foundation of the world, God looked and he said, I want that one. And I want that one. And I want that one. And I'm going to save them. They're going to be mine. He chose us. We have been personally chose us. God did not look for those who were perfect, or none of us would be chosen. He did not look for those who deserved it, or none of us would have been chosen. God just said, I love them. And we love him because he first loved us. So we can cry out to him. When, when you are in trouble, when you have sinned, when you have, when you're hurting, Listen, believer, and this is only for believers. You can get on your knees and say, Abba, Father, here I am. And Paul says, this is a beautiful, wonderful privilege that we have. Verse 16, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Paul suggests that believers agree with the spirit that we are God's children. Listen, one thing we have to be careful was one thing that, that is a dangerous thing for you to do is to go by your feelings. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The 99.9% .9 of the time, I don't feel like a child of God. And I'm so glad that that doesn't matter because what I feel is irrelevant. Our feelings deny uh, we, we should never, ever trust our feelings. As, as I, you have heard me say, 
Or you need to never, ever trust what you tell yourself because you will lie to yourself. We will deceive ourselves. What matters is what does God's word say? And God's word says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And to prove they're not in Christ, that they are filled with the spirit, they are led by the spirit. They'll put to, de to death the deeds of the body. They won't live according to the flesh. They'll live according to the spirit. And if they are led by the Spirit, then they are sons of God. They are adopted into God's family. And we have every right and privilege as a natural born son. By the way, you know who the natural born son is, right? That's Jesus. I read where, um, I think it was Charles Spurgeon one time said, Have you ever thought about the fact that when God looks at you as a believer, He sees you as if you're Christ? Because at one time, Christ stood before him as if he were you. That's beautiful. That's exactly what it is. Uh, J.I. Packer, great uh, Bible expositor from the past one time said that adoption into God's family is that God goes out, he finds his enemy, he brings him in, sets him down at the table, he feeds him and gives him the family name. And that's exactly what happened. It, it, we have done, and nothing have we done that deserves this or merits this. And we, we have to be careful that we don't let our feelings tell us what we're doing or what we are because the Word of God tells us and the Holy Spirit confirms that we are children of God. We have doubts. I have, I have fallen into sin in my life that made me step back and say, can I really be saved? I've had those whispers in my ear that say, you know, if you were really saved, you wouldn't have said that. Or you wouldn't have done that. But I look at what the Word of God says. And Paul says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If we are led by the Spirit. We are heirs with God. We are joint heirs with Christ. An inheritance uh, that has numerous benefits. Notice what he says here. <clears throat> and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. God is ours. And we have, he, he is our inheritance. Jesus is our inheritance. We are co-heirs with him. But they're an inheritance that has numerous benefits. We have confidence in prayer. You know, now I, I've told you before in my Christian life, if there is one area of my life that I struggle with more than anything else, it's the area of prayer. I really struggle with that. And, and, and I don't know if I'm the only one who does that or not, but I know that I do. But here's the thing. Paul is saying, look, as a child of God, you can have confidence in prayer. My prayers don't have to be elaborate. My prayers don't have to be uh, perfect. They just have to be real. They have to come from my heart. As someone has, has well said that it is better to pray than not to. It's just that simple. As a child of God, we can go to God and we have prayer. Often we feel unworthy or we fear, feel fear at asking for mercy for the same sin again and again and again and again. Now, please tell me that I'm not the only one that does that. 
that I have besetting sins and I go to God today and I say, Father, I have sinned. Please forgive me. I, I, for, I, I repent of that sin. And tomorrow I have to do that all over again for the same thing. And the next day for the same thing. And you know what? I, I love this. <clears throat> you think God ever stands there and says, you know, okay, look. For the last four days, you've come to me about the same sin. Something's got to give here. Can I tell you something, folks? That's not what God does. You may tell you what God does. When I go to God today in confidence and prayer because He's my Father and I'm His Son through Christ, and I can confess my sin, and I repent of it, and tomorrow when I go and say, Father, I've done it again, He says, did what? And I said, well, I committed that same sin. And he says, well, I don't remember that. You realize that's what God does? He says, what sin are you talking about? And we have confidence in this. We have no, no, you know, somebody says, should I feel unworthy in going before God in prayer? Well, you are unworthy. We're all unworthy but you know what Jesus said? He said, if you ask anything according to my name. You ever wonder why we pray in Jesus' name? This is part of what Paul's talking about here, about being a joint heir with Christ. Because you see, when I go to God in the name of Jesus, what I'm saying is, Father, I have absolutely no business being here. I'm unworthy. I'm a vile, wretched sinner. And I don't deserve anything from you but wrath and hell. But I'm here in Jesus' name. I'm here through Him because of what He's done. Because of the perfect life that He lived. Because of the sinless life He lived. Because of the perfect sacrifice He made. And Father, I am here and I am only here in Christ. Because I have no other way to get here. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Isn't that wonderful? Listen, that's, that's cause for rejoicing right there, that, that our actions may grieve God, but it will never quench his love because he loves us perfectly in Christ. But He loves us too much to let us persist in our sin. You know, one of the greatest aspects of love is something that has been thrown to the wayside today. And that's called discipline. Now, let me clarify something else here. <clears throat> I have heard throughout my lifetime people who have children talk about how they punish their children when they do something wrong. And I told a guy one time, I said, you need to stop doing that. And he said, well, the Bible tells me to. And I said, no, the Bible does not tell you to punish your children. The Bible tells you to discipline your children. Punishment is what you do to a criminal. Discipline is what you do to a child. God disciplines us. Listen, believer, as a believer in Christ, God will never, do you listen to this now? God will never, ever hold not one single sin to your charge. 
because it was all taken care of at the cross. But as believers, God will discipline us. You know why he disciplines us? Because he loves us. Vernon McGee used to talk about how at times God will take his children out to the heavenly woodshed. I've been to that woodshed. And if you have not, you better get on your knees and find out why you ain't saved. <laughs> because if you are a child of God, he will discipline you. The Bible, you know, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about discipline. About, you know, if you love a child, you'll discipline that child. I love the one that says if you beat a child, it won't die. But that's just me. But I had a daughter. So listen, as a believer in Christ, discipline is part of God's love. But discipline, and the writer to the Hebrews, he says, look, nobody likes discipline at the time, but you look back later. Listen, I'll tell you, I grew up with my mom and stepdad. My stepdad was a career military army, a strict disciplinarian. There was a line, you crossed it. There was no, don't cross it again. You crossed it once, you paid the price. And that price was usually a belt. And I want to tell you something. I love that man today because of it, because it was discipline out of love to keep me safe, to keep me on the right track. And, and Paul here, he says, look, and if children, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, suffering and glorification. But we need to understand God loves you too much to leave you in sin. And discipline is a part of that. But when he talks about suffering here, uh, <clears throat> there's no sharing. You see, he says in the last part of that, that we also may be glorified with him. Well, there is no glory without suffering. There is no crown without a cross. When Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And there is no sharing in Christ's glory unless there is also a sharing in his suffering. But notice what Paul says there. He says, provided we suffer, not for him, but with him. That we suffer. Now, now, in the suffering here, we need to understand there was a, a, a dimension to the suffering that Jesus endured when he paid for our sins that you and I have nothing to do with. And that is not what Paul's talking about. But do you remember what they, that, that everywhere Jesus went, they hated him. And who was it that hated him? The religious people. I find that fascinating, that it was the religious people. Jesus told his disciples, he says, they've hated me, they're going to hate you. He said, they've killed me, they're going to kill you. And throughout church history, somebody has said that the, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There have been millions and millions of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have been killed for their faith. But you and I may never be killed for our faith. But let me ask you something. You ever been mocked? For Christ? You ever been laughed at for Christ? Have you ever been unfriended on Facebook because of Christ? Well, that's not persecution. <laughs> All the rest of it is, but not the Facebook thing. That's usually a blessing. <laughs> but listen, Paul says that we suffer with him. Jesus was mocked. He was hated. He was rejected. And those who belong to him will be mocked and they will be hated and they were rejected. And folks, I'm going to tell you that personally, I believe that in this day that we live in this culture that you and I live in, if you as a believer are not facing some kind of persecution for Christ, then you are not living for Christ. 
because our culture is becoming increasingly more hostile to those who follow Jesus. And Paul says, look, if you're an heir of Christ, an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ, one of the things you're going to inherit from Christ is the hatred he had, the persecution that he endured. And we inherit this suffering so that we will inherit uh, glory. And Paul says that if we suffer with him, we will also be glorified with him. In John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed and he said, Father, he said, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world was. And here Paul says that we're going to be glorified with him. You and I must understand that to live for Christ, to be a true child of God, it's not an easy life. It's a life of suffering. It's a life of persecution. Jesus said, whoever will not give up everything to follow me can't be my disciple. Now, he didn't say we had to give up everything. He just said, I need to be willing to give up everything. Let me ask you something. Is God your father this morning? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and God is your father and you are his child? And you look at Jesus and say, I am taking up my cross, whatever it takes. I want to be like you. You know, he's our older brother, the writer to the Hebrews says. You know, I never had an older brother. I had three younger brothers, but I'll never forget one time. One of my brothers telling me, and I was quite a bit older than they were. <clears throat> one of them telling me, he says, you know, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And I thought, Wow. You're messed up. <laughs> no, that made me feel good. You know, I remember my, my youngest son. I mean, now he's like 6'3", weighs about 280 pounds, but he's the baby. And I remember when he was young, I was always hearing him say, I want to be like my dad, I want to be like my dad, I want to be like my dad. And I thought, man, what a tall order to fill. But you see, this is what Paul is talking about. Do you ever look at Jesus and say, I want to be like him? Here's the thing. My brother, my son, they may not ever be able to be like me. I don't know whether that's good or bad. But here's the thing. I can be like Christ. Because God has given me everything I need to live a life of godliness. And we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him. You know, in, in the next section that we're going to look at next week, that's what Paul's going to talk about. He's going to talk about how our suffering here, what it's going to bring there. And he says, listen, uh, well, look at verse 18. Paul says, consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. In other words, Paul says, look, whatever you're going through right now, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it in the end. Well, we'll get to that later. But, but this is where Paul will take us from now. But Jesus, through the Spirit, has given us his own special name for God, Abba. And it is because it becomes our natural call to a loving Father. And Paul began saying by saying that no one who is a believer in Christ, that we are no longer under bondage to sin. We are free because the Holy Spirit has applied the work of Christ to our life. 
The law could not save us, Paul says. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. How? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and condemning sin in the flesh. The law could not save us because of the weakness of our flesh, but Christ came and He did what neither, the, neither we nor the law could do for ourselves. Jesus did this. And then He addresses the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. We have a new mindset. We have a new sense of life. We have a new identity. We have a new obligation. You know, when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We have a new mindset, or we should have. That's what we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. I have a new mindset. We have a new sense of life. We have purpose now. My purpose is to glorify God. We have a new identity we're no longer children of wrath. We're no longer sons of disobedience. Now we are sons of the living God and daughters, children of the living God. We have a new obligation. I am no longer under obligation to fulfill the desires of my flesh. I owe nothing to this world. I owe nothing to the devil. I owe nothing to my flesh. I owe everything to God. We have a new obligation for that. But the key to enjoying, to, to the personal enjoyment of all this is twofold. First, the experience of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Listen, folks, as I said, if you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, none of this applies to you. None of it. You are not God's child. He is not your father. You cannot cry out, Abba, Father. You have nothing to look forward to except wrath and hell. But when we cry out to Him, when we run to Christ with our sin, and we see the Savior for who He is, and we see ourselves for who we are, do you see yourself as a filthy, wretched sinner in need of the grace of God? You see, as long as we see ourselves as good people or just as good as anybody else, we'll never come. You know, I've had, I've had people say, you know, I may be bad, but at least I'm not as bad as Bobby Baker. But I want to tell you something, folks. Bobby Baker is not the standard by which God will judge you. Jesus is. So don't look at anybody else. But the, the, the proof... The evidence that we are led by the Spirit of God, that we are indeed child, uh, children of God, is that we will live according to the Spirit rather than according to the flesh. I'll hate my sin. I'll love God's righteousness. And I'll seek to be like this. I pray that all of this is yours today, but I ask you, are you a child of the King? Are you a child of God? Run to Christ, repent, confess your sin, by faith lay hold of Him, and, and all of this can be yours in an instant. And like John says in the book of 1 John, he says you can pass from death into life. And it happens like that. In an instant.
if we truly believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you are led by the Spirit. Are you led by the Spirit? Paul, Paul has given us ample evidence here to look at my life and say, what do I see? Where are my desires? Where are my uh, uh, affections? When suffering for the cause of Christ comes into my life, when persecution for the cause of Christ comes into my life, what do I do? I want to tell you what Christians throughout the centuries have done. They have embraced it. In our history, uh, church history study we've been doing, <clears throat> I'm fascinated. As you look back, we started with right at the end of the apostolic age. And we're going to go all the way through today, but we're up to the Reformation. And, and one of the things that we have seen in every single century, regardless of what was going on, one thing we have seen in every single century was the persecution of God's people by the world, by Satan. And Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But this made me look at my life and say, you know what? I see these men and women throughout history who have willingly shed their own blood or had their own blood shed for the cause of Christ because they loved Him. I remember a story about two of the Puritans and their names escaped me. But they were being burned at the stake because they refused to stop preaching the true gospel. And as they were burning, one looked at the other and said, cheer up, tonight we eat supper in heaven. Man, wouldn't you like to have that attitude? Cheer up, we're being burned at the stake, but that's okay. <laughs> we're going to eat supper in heaven. Run to Christ, and Paul says, look, you're going to suffer, and, and we, have, we must look at our lives. And I think part of the evidence of a, led by, a person led by the Spirit living for Christ, who mocks you? Who dislikes you? And I'll tell you what I've learned. Okay, And, and I, I was really kind of shocked at the realization of this. Do you know who that I have found has really been offended by my preaching? Who has really found that they didn't like me? It was people sitting in church. It wasn't people out there. But I have found that that's happened throughout history. It is Jesus was hated by those who most of all should have known who he was and accepted him. But Paul says, if you're going to live for Christ, you're going to suffer. And he says here, but if you suffer with him, remember, you're also going to be glorified with him. Isn't that great? Something to look forward to? Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. Thank you, Abba, Father, for the wonderful privilege of allowing us to call you Father. Lord, we thank you that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ 
came and made us alive. Father, we thank you for the salvation that you have made available in Christ. Father, for the salvation that we have in believing in him. And I pray that for anyone, Father, that is listening this morning that has never truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that this morning they might repent, turn from their sin and turn toward the living God. Believe on Jesus by faith and receive the gift of eternal life. Father, may we going forward recognize that as we live our lives, we are being conformed to the image of Christ. May we pursue holiness, Father, intentionally. May we daily die to sin and die to self. And Father, when we face persecutions and sufferings in this world for Christ, that Father, we might remember that not only do we suffer with Him, but we will be glorified with Him. And we thank You for that wonderful promise. For it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and turn to page.